Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Good morning. Hey, uh, real quick, I wanted to take a moment to celebrate Friday night. How many of you were, were here on Friday night? Whether you were, how many of you were serving on Friday night or you just attended on Friday night? Uh, it was a, a lot, a lot of fun. How many of you, that was your first uh, Light Up the Night event here at our church? Um, it, was, uh, it was a great night. I don't know the exact count of people that were here that night, but I would say that there was well over a thousand people that came through our parking lot that night that we were able to be a blessing to. and. Um, you know, shine the light of Christ and, and give them some free candy, sugar them all up and, uh, and uh, send them back to their parents at that point. But man, it was, it was really, really good. And how many of you, you know, your kids were here, you got some candy and you ate some of their candy? Parent, parent tax, is that what we call that? Uh, yeah, my favorite part is stealing all of the candy, best part of this season. But um, man, it was a great night. And uh, so thank you so much for being there and serving. And uh, if you are not signed up to help next Friday night in Quakertown, and you're still available, there's still some spots you can sign up. So go out to that table out in the foyer, sign up to help that night or just attend. It's gonna be a, another great night as well. Man, I'm excited to continue our series Upside Down. If you haven't been here, we've been looking at what many people would say is the greatest, uh, uh, most influential sermon that was, has been given in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter five through seven. And in this sermon, Jesus is kind of introducing his kingdom. This is constant theme of the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about his kingdom that he has come to establish. And the reason we're calling it upside down is because this kingdom is so much different than the kingdoms that were in the world. It is an upside down kingdom in many ways. And so we're looking at some of those ways and some of those things that Jesus talked about in this great sermon. Uh, so the first few weeks, we've looked at a couple things. We looked at the Beatitudes, first and foremost, which are the attitudes that should be uh, in every single person's life that's a follower of Christ. That if this is who you are, if you're living as a, a citizen of the kingdom, kingdom of heaven, what should your life look like? What should be the fruit of a life that is lived in submission to Christ? And then last week, we talked about what does it look like for us to walk as influence in the world that God has called us to be what? Salt and light, that we are called to make everything better, that we are called like salt to preserve the world, hold back the sin and decay that we see in the world, living a righteous life, a holy life, a set apart life that we're called to be like light, reflections of Christ, pointing people to the hope that is found in Christ. That's our, our job. We're called to be people of influence, but we don't necessarily influence like the rest of the world influences. We influence how Jesus tells us to influence. And this morning we'll be continuing in Matthew chapter five, verses 17, through 20. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. That's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And the question that Jesus is going to answer today is a really, really important question. He's going to talk about his purpose and his mission and his understanding of the law. And so really quick, uh, let me just kind of ask you this as we begin before we get into this scripture this morning. Uh, how many of you, maybe when you first became a follower of Christ or maybe at another point in your life, you decided, you know what, I want to read through 
the entire Bible, like cover to cover. Anybody ever do like a Bible reading plan like that? And maybe you, or maybe you've, you know, made the commitment like every year I'm going to read through the Bible in a year and you start out and, and you start in Genesis, right? There's two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You start at Genesis and you, and you have all the, you're, I'm going to read through the Bible cover to cover and you start in Genesis and it's really good. Lots of great stories, right? You read about creation, Adam and Eve. You read about um, Abraham. You read about Noah's Ark, all of these different heroes in the faith. It's just really, really full of great stories, great uh, insight. And it's, it's going really well. Come on, how many of you, you made it through Genesis and you're like, I'm doing good. I'm making progress one down, right? And then you get into Exodus and it's pretty good as well. And you know, there's the stories about the people of Israel in captivity and, and, and Moses delivering them. And you see all these signs and wonders and miracles that God has done, splitting the Red Sea, all these other amazing things. And, and then the people complain and they wander around in the wilderness and, and it's, it is good. Lots of great stories. You see the 10 commandments, everything else. And, and it's going really, really well. And you get through Exodus and then you get to Leviticus. And it just gets a little weird. If we're, if we're being honest, it just, like, it just gets a little, like, well, this is different. This is, this, is get, this is not like the first two. It's a little bit different. And I'm going to push through and you get to Exodus or Leviticus and you get to Numbers. And it's literally a lot of numbers and rules. And then you get to Deuteronomy and you're like, well, why is this all in here? Have you ever thought that? I mean, like, we can be honest. Have you ever read that and been like, why? Like, it's all about rules and sacrifices and ceremonies and festivals and all of these other kinds of things that, that are things that if we're honest with ourselves aren't part of our normal worship. Like we don't come in on a Sunday morning and I don't wear like a really long robe, fortunately. Um, and, and we don't have like an altar up here and you don't bring sheep and goats with you and we don't slaughter them and blood. Everything. Like how many of you are, are happy about that? Some of you would be like, that'd be a church service right there, right? Like that'd be pretty neat. But we, we don't follow and we don't do those same things and we don't live out those same things. And so sometimes I think when we read the Old Testament, especially we go, okay, why is this in here? And what does this actually mean for us that are now living as followers of Christ under the new covenant? What does this look like for the people who are living in Christ's kingdom that he's come to establish? And, and that's really what Jesus is gonna talk about in these verses. Uh, people were wondering about Jesus. He, he was a, a person who spoke with such authority. He was different than all the other rabbis and, and teachers. The way he presented what he, he presented, it wasn't like he was just speaking from a place of authority. It was like he was authority. He was speaking divine authority. He was uh, doing miracles and signs and wonders, healing people, feeding multitudes, crazy stuff, was following him everywhere he, he went. And he was just doing all this amazing stuff. And people wanted to know, what is your message? Like, wh what are you saying? What is your thought? thoughts towards the old covenant? What is your thoughts? Because they weren't sure. They thought that the Messiah was going to come onto the picture and he was just going to tear it all down and reinstitute new things. And so they wanted to know what Jesus was all about. What was his view of the Old Testament? What was his view of the law? And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20. He says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teach others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You know, these are, are profound words. I'll be honest with you. It was like a wrestling match this week for me. 
Like there, there's so much in these few verses that we could talk about, so much that we could, and you know, I can be a little long-winded. And so we could just go right into the second service today and we'll just, I'm not gonna do that to you guys, but there was just so much. And I was just, I was just wrestling a lot this week and just, God, okay, where, where are we supposed to go with this? And, and how can we make this make sense? And how, you know, how is this supposed to speak to us and challenge us? Because I know on a Sunday morning, we have people that are, all different places in your journey. There's people who, are, who have been following Christ for a long time, uh, know God's word really well. There's people who are in here who, who it's all new to you. You don't really know the, the, the word of God very well. You don't understand the difference in the Old Testament and New Testament. You don't kind of understand how it all goes together. And so what, what does God want to speak? And, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to just kind of pull out three points, three main ideas I think we can see in this scripture that hopefully will help us understand what Jesus is saying. And the first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. All scripture points to Jesus. In the very beginning of what he said there, verse 17, he says, I have not come to abolish the law or prophets, I came to fulfill them. In other words, what he's saying is that the entire Bible is all about him. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is saying, I didn't come to diminish, to dismiss, to get rid of the stuff in the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill it. He's essentially saying, in essence, that I am the answer to all the questions that you've had at this point. I am the, 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 the answer to all the promises you've been given. I am the culmination of everything that you've written, everything that you've understood in your history. I am who you've been waiting for. Jesus is the central theme of everything. The entire Old Testament, New Testament, all points to him. The Old Testament points to him, promises him, talks about him, paints a picture of what he's gonna be like, what this new covenant's gonna be like. The New Testament reveals him, the singular purpose of the entire word of God. And just in case you were wondering, the singular purpose of the entire word of God is to make God's plan of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, known. That's it the entire purpose of his work. Apart from Jesus, the Bible is just another book. You understand that? Like everything rises and falls on Jesus. Jesus said these words to the Pharisees who were the experts in the law in John chapter five. He says, you pour over the scriptures, the Old Testament, because you think that you will have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me, but you're not willing to come to me so that you may have that life. They looked at the word of God as this source of eternal life. He says, you're reading all the pages, you know all the words, you have some, all of this memorized, but all of it is pointing to me. It's revealed in me. I am the answer to all the things. I am the, the source of the eternal hope, the eternal life that you're looking for. Yet you refuse to come to me for eternal life. And here's what I want you to understand. If you read the Bible, but you miss Jesus, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you miss Jesus, if you don't understand Jesus, if you don't come away with a greater passion and desire for Jesus, a greater love for Jesus, if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. You miss everything. I love in John chapter one, when it introduces Jesus, it says it like this in verse one through four and then verse 14, it says, in the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed the glory, the glory of the one and only son from the father who was full of grace and truth. The word of God is greatest revealed to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ when he put flesh on. 
And so if that is true, and we look at the Bible through the lens of Jesus, and we understand that everything points to Jesus, then we need to have the same respect and honor and thoughts towards the old covenant, the Old Testament, as Jesus had toward those things. And, and just if, if we're not clear, let's look at verse 18 and 19 again. He says, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever doesn't teach these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So how did Jesus look at the law? How did he revere the Old Testament? What did he have to say? Well, we see in that portion of scripture that the word of God is everlasting. It says it will outlast the natural world. There is nothing you can do to stop, to diminish, to get rid of the word of God. The word was written with intent, he says. It was meant to be fulfilled. It wasn't meant to be diminished, to get rid of, to be torn up. It was meant to actually be fulfilled. The word is absolute authority. Every single letter, and not only every letter, he says every part of every letter, the smallest part of every letter is written with intent and it's established. And the word of God is faithful and trustworthy. Everything that it says will be accomplished, everything. That's what Jesus's view of the word was. That's his view of the Old Testament. That's his view of the covenant, which means that if that was his view, then that should be our view as well, which means that we don't get to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like, what we feel is for us and what we don't feel is for us. We have to look at everything through the lens of Jesus and interpret it through the lens of Jesus because Jesus is the greatest interpreter of the law because he is the law. You understand what I'm talking about? Like everything points to Jesus and, and the lens that we read scripture through needs to be different. We read it through the lens of Jesus. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says this, it says, all scripture is inspired by God. Another version says it's breathed out by God. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All scripture. Everything, every letter, every word, every verse inspired by God, given to us to point us to Jesus, given to us to reveal who God is to us. When we read through that lens of Christ, it changes everything. You understand, when we read the Old Testament and we read the laws and the prophets and we read about all those different things, but we read it through the lens of Jesus, it changes everything. We look at it through, through the promise of the Messiah. We look at it through the promise of what God is gonna do. It changes everything. And, and that's where it starts, this understanding that God is the source of everything and that everything points to Jesus. The second thing that Jesus talks about, and this is really, really important. He says, I've come to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. He makes a really, really bold statement that he hasn't come to abolish, to diminish, to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, if Jesus failed to do this, if Jesus didn't fulfill the law, that makes Jesus a liar. That means that everything else Jesus says is not true as well. If he didn't do what he came to do, so this is a really, really big deal. Like if Jesus didn't do this, everything rises and falls in this, right? So if he didn't accomplish this, this is a really, really big deal. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. When Jesus is talking, just so we're clear, when he's talking about the law and the prophets, when he says, I haven't come to, to diminish, to destroy the law and the prophets, he's talking about the entire Old Testament. It was just a, a phrase that they would use to explain the Old Testament. The law represented the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the Pentateuch, also known as the Torah, right? That was the first five books, the books of Moses. The prophets represented the rest of it. Sometimes they would say the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, or the Proverbs, but, but all of it fits under, this was a term that they would use to explain the entire Old Testament. Now the law, those first five books consisted of around 613 rules. 
613 rules that were a, a mix of both things that you were supposed to do, right? Commandments to do, and also a list of things that you were not supposed to do. And when we look at this law, we, we often break it down into three categories because we can see there's these distinctions in this law. Like we look at the law and we'll see three categories. The first one we'll see oftentimes is like civil or judicial law, which were the laws that governed the nation of Israel. This was a nation that God has established, right, to be a, almost like a theocracy, right? He was the leader of their nation. They were to follow him. They were to follow his leading, his guidance, and he would establish their path. And so he gave them laws to help govern them, uh, their behaviors, their punishments for crimes. When you read throughout the, the first five books of the Old Testament, you'll see a lot of these laws. Uh, what do you do if somebody steals something from you? What do you do if, if you dig like a hole in the ground and you forget to cover it up and somebody falls in that hole? I mean, like rules like that. Like there's all kinds of rules that were to govern the way that they interacted with each other, the rules that, the punishments for crimes and different things. And so it's all in there and it all falls under this civil and judicial law. And the point was this, God had called the nation of Israel to be a set apart nation, to be different than the nations of the world. And so he said, here's the ways that you're gonna live and treat each other that's gonna make you this set apart nation that's gonna to make you look different than the rest of the world. Then you also see ceremonial laws. And these were the laws that were like the, the temple practices and the various kinds of sacrifices, the priestly duties and responsibilities, the dietary restrictions, what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, things like bacon. How many of you are glad that we can eat bacon now? Anybody? Yeah. I was just thinking about it. I wouldn't do good under that part. Like that's a law I'd probably break. I'm a law breaker, right? I, I, like the bacon tastes delicious. The shellfish you couldn't eat. There was all kinds of uh, unclean and clean things. There was rules about clothing that you couldn't wear clothing that was more than one fabric, which I like to wear tri-blends because it stretches with me, right? And so, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so like just 100% cotton just shrinks and it's really just me getting bigger, but I want to believe it's just the, the fabric shrinking, but the tri-blend always stays good. They had rules about everything and all these things were, were to represent the holiness of God. When you looked at the altar, when you looked at the animal sacrifice, when you looked at all of those things, it was supposed to represent God's holiness and his perfection and how like unholy and unrighteous that we are and, and what was needed to forgive sins. And there was all kinds of festivals and, and, and all kinds of different things that fit under these ceremonial laws. And then the last one was the moral laws. These were the laws that, declared what God deemed right and wrong. And when you think of the moral laws, we think of the 10 commandments. They fall into this category and they showed how ultimately how we were to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and how we were to love our neighbor. In fact, Jesus says all the law and the prophets rest on those, loving God and loving others. This is what it's all about. And so we see these three laws and we understand, and I want you to understand when when Jesus says he's come to fulfill this, that he actually fulfilled all of those laws and all of the prophets in the sense that he accomplished what they, what they said that they were going to do. He lived according to all of the directives. He fulfilled many of the prophecies, especially about the Messiah. He accomplished the purposes of the law. He did what the law was made to do for us. And here's where it gets a little tricky for people. And this is where I think we, we, we've seen, and maybe you've had an argument with like, like this with somebody or you didn't know how to answer this, but there's times where people will say, well, Okay, well, you talk about God's law when it comes to certain things. Like you'll say, well, you know, the, the Bible talks about sexual immorality or homosexuality or things like that. And you'll use the law to, to say why we don't do those things, why we, these things are wrong, why these things are sinful. This is what God says. But then 
You pick and choose what other things in the law you want to follow. So when it comes to shellfish and eating bacon, you guys are okay with that. And when it comes to wearing fabrics that are mixed, you're okay with that. And so why do you get to pick and choose which laws are, are for you, which laws are for today, and which laws are not? And, and, and so I think we need to understand uh, why, why this is the way it is and why we, we do this and why and what it means in the way that God fulfilled and the way that Jesus fulfilled these things. And so let me just kind of look at it from this perspective, the civil laws we talked about, the ones that were... the, the the ones that were meant to, to make them a set-apart nation. The reason that we don't follow those all the exact same way, the reason it's different and that Jesus fulfilled those is because we no longer relate to God as a nation, but under the new covenant as people. Before it was all about a nation. The only way you could have a relationship with God was to be brought into that nation of Israel, which means you either had to be born Jewish or you had, to, you had to make a choice to convert to Judaism and to do that meant you also had to follow all of those 613 laws and live based on those. And just so we're understanding as well, we've talked about this before, but for a guy, an adult man that wanted to convert to Judaism, one of the things that they would have to go through in that choice would be to get circumcised. So you're talking about having to make a really big choice at that point. Like, do you really want to make this decision? Because it's going to be a painful choice. They didn't have the medicine and technology and things that we have now. And that's also done when you're a child. You can't remember. This is trauma as an adult, right? So you had to make that decision and to convert and to be in the people of Israel in order to have that relationship with God. Now, when Jesus came, the Bible says that he brought peace between people. He tore down the wall of hostility between us and God. He made a way for people to, to have a relationship with God through his shed blood on the cross. No longer do we have just a kingdom in this world, uh, uh, an earthly kingdom, a nation of Israel, but Jesus established a spiritual nation, what he calls the church, the church of Christ. He established this church and now we have a relationship with God through Jesus. And so those laws that we see that were the civil laws that were based on the nation and how the nation of people should relate to each other are fulfilled in Christ. And we don't follow them. Now, listen, it's not to say that there's not good stuff in there that we can learn from. It's not to say that there's not good things that we can learn from the rules that they followed on how to relate to each other, how to love each other, how to treat each other, how to deal with arguments and things like that. There's lots of things in there, but, but that was established for that time. And that nation outside of the new covenant in Christ. Now the ceremonial laws have also been fulfilled, fulfilled in Christ as well. And we're no longer bound to these same things, right? We no longer have a system of sacrifices and, and priests between us and God. All of this was fulfilled in Jesus, who the Bible says is our great high priest and who was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. I wanna read a few different portions of scripture from Hebrews which kind of explain this. And I would encourage you, if you wanna do a little bit of homework this week, read Hebrews chapters, uh, really you could read all the way through uh, one through 10, but if you wanna focus chapter four, chapter eight, chapter nine, and chapter 10, it really kind of talks about this in greater detail. But let's just read a, a few verses. Hebrews chapter eight, six through seven says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. In chapter nine, he goes on to say this in verse 24, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands. In other words, he's talking about the priest and what they did in the temple. There was a temple, there was different distinctions, different places where priests could go, the holy place, the most holy place. He's saying he did not enter into a holy place made by human hands, which was only a copy, a shadow of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. 
And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10, 11 through 14, it says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he made perfect those who are being made holy. In other words, in this new covenant, we don't follow this system of sacrifices. And in fact, it would be very offensive to God to go back to a lesser form of sacrifice that could never forgive sins. Think about how offensive that is. Well, we're just gonna go back to following the rules and, and killing animals and the blood and everything else when Jesus willingly put his life on the line, laid down his life as the perfect spotless lamb of God to come to take away the sins of the world. How offensive would it be to go back to a system that was based on merit that was only meant to be a shadow, a picture of the things to come. So Jesus fulfilled that and we no longer live based on those things, although again, when we look at the Old Testament and we read those things, even though we're not obligated to follow those things in that same way, we still get a picture of who Jesus is. We still get a picture of his purity. We still get a picture of his perfection. We still get a, a picture of God's hatred towards sin and his wrath towards sin. And so we still learn from it, but we're not under the law in the same way. Now, the last one, the moral law, also fulfilled in Jesus as well. How did he do this? Number one, he lived a perfect life of obedience to the law. Jesus fulfilled the demands of the law in that he followed the law to a T. Every single one of those 613 rules that were established, he lived perfectly. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we did, yet he did not sin. Can you imagine? He lived a life of perfection not only in his deeds, but also in his motives and his heart. Even his motives were constantly pure, never was dishonoring to his parents. Like we all fail by the time we're two, right? Never broke any of the commands, followed all of the feast, did all of the things that they were called to do, lived a perfect life, lived the, the law perfectly, did exactly what it was meant to do, followed it to a T. But not only that, he also took the law's punishment for our sin. The law's demands were pretty simple. You follow it fully or you die. Like that, that was it. You follow it perfectly or you pay to the penalty. The wages of sin is death. Jesus followed the law perfectly, which means he did not have to die. You and I, we break the law all the time, which means our penalty should be death. But the great thing about the gospel, the great message of the gospel of this new covenant is that Jesus put himself into our place and died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says it like this. This verse is often referred to as the great exchange. It says, for God made Christ who never never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Another version says, he became sin who knew no sin so that we could then in exchange become the righteousness of God, which means if you're struggling with addiction in your life, Jesus became that sin for you. You struggle with sexual immorality, Jesus became that sin for you. He never committed that sin. He carried the weight of that sin in your place. 
And when you look at the cross and you see the, the death and you see the, the brutality and you see the, the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through, you're looking at your punishment that you deserved. You're looking at God's wrath towards the sin that you've committed that Jesus willingly put onto his shoulders, becoming our sin so that he could exchange our sin for his righteousness. In Romans chapter eight, verse two and four, it says this, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weaknesses of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. Again, fully man. And in that body, he declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Jesus fulfilled the civil laws, the judicial laws, the ceremonial laws, and he fulfilled the moral law as well. But here's the thing, unlike the civil and ceremonial laws, the moral laws still stand. Why? Even though he fulfilled it, why, why do they still stand? Because the moral laws point to his character. They're the definition of what he deems as right or wrong. They're, they're to show us how to do what he says to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. They paint a picture of how we are to do that and how we are to live that out. And, and just because Jesus fulfilled the requirements of those things doesn't mean he diminished those things and said, okay, you don't have to do that. Like, just imagine it like this. Jesus fulfilled the law. One of the commandments says, you should have no other gods before me. Okay, Jesus fulfilled the law. Is he cool with us worshiping other gods now? No. Jesus fulfilled the law. Is he cool with us having idols in our house? Even though we have a lot of other idols, we just don't call them idols. We call them sports teams. <laughs> but is it cool that we have idols? We have things that we worship. Is that, is that okay now because he fulfilled the law? No. Is it okay that we go around murdering people now? Some of you wanted to do it before, but it's not Okay. Is it okay that we, we lie, we, we commit adultery, we covet, we steal? Are all those things okay now? Because Jesus fulfilled it, so he fulfilled it, which means it's all good. He's, no, no, no. In fact, in Romans chapter six, it talks about if, if we receive grace and we've received his forgiveness, should we just go on living in sin so that grace could come even more and more? And he says, no. Like, that's not the purpose. That's not why Jesus fulfilled it for us so we can live however we, we want. And so we look at the moral law of God and it's still established and we still follow it, but our relationship with it has changed, right? Under the old covenant, your standing with God was based on your ability to follow the rules or to sacrifice animals to forgive your sins and do things like that. Under the new covenant, we don't follow the rules to earn God's love, to earn his forgiveness, to earn his acceptance, but in response to the acceptance and forgiveness that's already been given to us through Christ. And we follow his law, especially that moral law, because we wanna live as set apart people that love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. The third thing we see, and the last thing I want us to see in this portion of scripture, is that not only does Jesus fulfill the law for us, but he also enables us to live God's way. Matthew chapter 5, 20, the last verse that we looked at there would have been a shocking verse for the people to hear. Maybe not as shocking for us, we don't fully understand. But he says these words, he says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, just so we are, are on the same page, the scribes and the Pharisees were the best of the best when it came to following the law. 
They were the ones who, who lived it out to the fullest. They were the ones who understood. They were the ones, if you had a question about something and you wanted to know where it was in the Old Testament, you'd go to them and they'd be able to tell you exactly where it was located. They had it memorized. They were the best of that. They dressed the best. They looked the best. They were the most holiest. They, in every single way. In fact, they even made up more rules than were even required. Come on, have you ever met a religious person that tells you rules and they just make up rules on top of rules? This is what they would do. They had all kinds of other rules to help them follow the rules that were already established. They would be like, okay, well, we have to have the Sabbath. We can't even walk this many steps. That's considered a sin. They would add rules. They would make it this unbearable, heavy burden and load to follow. And it was this big production. It was all about outward works. It was all about outward actions. It was not about the motives of the heart. They missed out on all of that. It says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of them, unless you are more holy than them, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. See, here's the thing about the Pharisees and scribes. They knew the law, but they missed the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was threefold. The first thing, it was to explain what sin is. It was to help us have an understanding of what is right and what is wrong. This is okay in God's mind. This is not okay. Like it was to paint a picture of God's holiness and his perfection and our lack of those things and to show us what he considers right and what he considers wrong. It was also meant to expose sin in us. In other words, when we read God's word, we read it as a mirror, not to point out everybody else's faults, but to look at ourselves and be like, man, I, I kind of fall short. Like if you read the Bible, and you look at all of the rules in the Old Testament and you look at all of these different things and you read about God's holiness and you look at yourself and you go, I'm pretty good. You're reading it wrong. Like that is the, the conclusion that you come to after reading God's word. I'm a good person. I'm just gonna clear it up for us. There's, there's one good person, his name is Jesus. The rest of us kind of stink. Let's just be honest together. We need to have a good evaluation of ourselves. But the Pharisees did not think that because they looked at themselves and they said, look at how good we are at following the rules. They missed the purpose that was meant to expose sin in us. And then the last thing about the purpose of the law, not only to explain sin, expose sin in us, but also to express our need for a savior. When you look at the law and you look at uh, the brokenness of yourself, what it should lead you to is an understanding that you cannot do it on your own, that you cannot follow the rules on your own, that you're not good enough in and of yourself, that you desperately need help to live for God. You desperately need somebody to step in and be that savior. For, for the Pharisees, the law was simply a checklist to follow. It was simply their, their checklist so they could look at themselves as self-righteous and look at how holy and perfect they were. But the reality is the only way to fulfill the law is perfection. The only way you can live right with God based on the law is if you follow it perfectly, not just in action, but in, in motives of your heart as well. So even if you do good on the outside and even if you follow all the rules on the outside and you look okay, but your heart is not right, the motives of your heart are wrong, you still have broken the law. And that's what we're really gonna talk about over the next few weeks as we break down these next few verses. You know, when it comes to, when it comes to the law, we're not graded on the curve. How many of you in school, you were happy when they graded on the curve? If you don't try, the curve is great. Because you know that somebody in your class is really one of those go-getters that can't live with a B, they're gonna pull everybody up. But if you're that person in the class that works really hard, you hate the people that don't try because they're pulling you grade down, right? Like they, don't, they make things worse for you. The gospel isn't graded on a curve, it's all or nothing. Like you follow it perfectly or you don't and there's consequences for if you don't follow it perfectly. In fact, in Galatians 3.10, it says it like this. It says, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. 
So when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the, the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about trying harder. They were the ones who tried the hardest. He's not talking about working harder, outwardly looking better, doing all the things, checking off the boxes. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a, a different kind of righteousness altogether, a better type of righteousness. For the Pharisees, it was all a works-based righteousness. I'm just gonna work my way to God. I'm gonna follow the law. I'm gonna be good enough. I'm gonna do everything possible to make myself worthy of God, self-righteousness, which will never work. In Romans 10, it says it like this in verse three through five. It says, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. Again, you wanna be right with God based on following the rules, you need to follow it perfectly. Is there anybody in this room who's never sinned, who's never made a mistake? I'm looking around for a second so we know who to sit near or maybe we should sit away from them. They're about to get struck with lightning. Nobody, no, there's not a person in here Sinning comes naturally for many of us. We fall short of God's standard all the time. So if it's not a works-based, then what is it? Well, Jesus is talking about a, a grace-based righteousness. When he says, unless your, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, he's saying, listen, it needs to be a completely different type of righteousness altogether. And this is exactly why Jesus came. And this is what he has fulfilled. This is what we can experience because Jesus fulfilled the law for us in our place. I wanna give just a, a couple passages of scripture as we close this morning. Just two more passages of scripture and then we're gonna stand and we're gonna pray. Here, and listen, we're gonna really break this down over these next few weeks because Jesus gets into some specific sins, some specific rules and really kind of interprets what it looks like to live these out God's way. But I wanna read a portion of scripture in Romans and then one in Ephesians as we close to help us understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about this, this grace faith by faith righteousness. Romans 3, 21 through 25, he says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. In other words, this was always his plan. This was always, when you read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of Messiah, you see this plan being worked throughout history. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of sin. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And then Ephesians chapter two, eight through nine. And would you stand with me as we read this last verse? This has always been one of my favorite verses. I don't know why, it's just always been one of my favorites. Ephesians chapter two, eight and nine says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this, for it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. As we close this morning, I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. 
And I want you to just kind of take some time to allow God to evaluate your heart. When it comes to your life, especially if you're in here today, you're a follower of Christ, but even if you're not, I, I wanna ask you this, are, are, you, are you chasing after a, a works-based righteousness like the Pharisees? Or are you trusting in Jesus' perfect grace-based righteousness for you? So the entire Bible points to Jesus. It testifies about his work throughout history and it finds its completion and its fulfillment in him. That means if we are in Christ and we wanna to continue to grow in Christ, we continually go back to his word, but we read it through the lens of what he's already accomplished for us. And as we do that and we look at his word, we're reminded of how he wants us to live, but we're also reminded of the fact that we cannot do it on our own. It's not made to just be a, a checklist, a book of rules and regulations. It's made to reveal our inadequateness so we run back to God with a heart of repentance, trusting in his finished work in our place for our sins. Can I tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus, you never get past this. We talked about this in the first week, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who, who understand and, and recognize their complete dependence on Jesus who never grow past that, who never get good enough on their own, who trust Jesus from the moment they put their faith in him to the moment they stand before him in eternity, we trust Jesus. We understand that there is nothing that we bring to the table on our own. If you're a follower of Christ, do you understand just what Jesus has done for you? Do you understand what he has made possible for you? Do you understand the price that has been paid for you to walk in freedom today? Or are you trying to to earn it on your own, to live it based on yourself. For those of you who are here today who maybe don't yet know Christ, maybe you've grown up in church, gone through the religious motions, confessed things to a priest, gone through the sacraments or whatever else, continually thinking that this would make you right with God, that you could do enough to tip the scales in your favor. And the message of the gospel is that if you broke one rule, you broke it all. And if you're, and if you're, trying to get to God on your own, you'll never get there. That Jesus did it all for you in your place. That he paid the price for your sins. He took on the wrath for your sins. Every single one of them, the ones that are secret that nobody else knows about in your life that you think you're keeping hidden, Jesus knows he paid the price and he loves you still. We all come to, to God the same way, humble, realizing that we bring nothing to the table. Salvation is a, is a gift. It's not something we earn. So if you're in here today and you do not yet know Christ, then today is a day that you say, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I wanna receive his forgiveness. I wanna receive his new life. I'm not trying to do it on my own. I'm not trying to work my way to him. I wanna simply accept what he has done for me. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand as we close so I know I'm praying with you. Nobody else needs to look around for just, this is between you and God really anyway. And maybe you're in here and you do know Christ, but if you're honest with yourselves, you find yourself continually going back to that works-based righteousness. You constantly feel yourself going back to, the, I just gotta, I gotta do something now to make God love. How, how many of you would be honest and say, there's been times where you've done that? 
I know God has saved me, but I've messed up and I, I don't feel, I don't, how could God love me? I've messed up again. How could he continue to love me? How could he still care about me? We find ourselves going back through the motions, going through the religious works, trying to do the things to earn God's love, to earn his acceptance. And it's so easy to turn back to that, that works-based righteousness, but God has a grace-based righteousness for you. It's a better type of righteousness. It's the only righteousness that will get you into the kingdom of heaven. So if you're in here today and you're a follower of Christ, as we worship and as we close today, maybe you, you think about that area in your life where you've jumped back into works of the flesh and you just surrender that back to Jesus and you just simply trust him again. God, I thank you for, for fulfilling the law for me. In fact, Father, as we pray today, God, we are so grateful for what you've accomplished for us. God, that you haven't got rid of the Old Testament. You haven't diminished the Old Testament. God, when we look at the Old Testament, we see you, Jesus. We see your righteousness. We see your plan. We see your fulfillment. We see what you have come to do. And God, we're grateful that you fulfilled the law in our place. We're grateful that we still don't do certain things to have right standing with you. We're grateful, God, that you are a great high priest, that you became the perfect sacrifice in our place for our sins. God, we're thankful, God, that we can worship you with freedom, God, that your burden is easy and your yoke is light. We're thankful, God, for what you've accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. God, may we never be people who go back to the old way of doing things, go back to the old covenant, go back to the old promises because what you've accomplished is better. God, let us not seek after a righteousness that is based on ourselves, our own works, but God, let us pursue a righteousness that is by faith in you, accepting your grace, God. Your grace that is there when we fall short, when we make mistakes, when we fail, God. You continue to love us, pursue us, never giving up on us. And when we fall short, God, we don't have to work our way back to you, earn our way back to you. We simply turn from our sins, repent, receive your forgiveness and walk in right relationship with you. It sounds too easy to be true, God, but it wasn't easy for Jesus. So we thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in our place for our sins, God. And we worship you and we live in response to what you have made possible for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.